You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, it is an honor to be here at Asbury and to see um, some very familiar faces, some very familiar faces and some new faces. If you have a copy of the scriptures, go to the book of Revelation chapter 1. You can use your phone, iPad, however you want to do it, but Revelation chapter 1, and we'll begin at verse 9. And I know that whenever uh, uh, any speaker, pastor, preacher, preacher tells you to look at the book of Revelation, there's a little bit of an intrigue, isn't there? Because of the mystery of the book. But I've been preaching for 26 years, and this is what I know. If I could only preach one book the rest of my life, it would be the book of Revelation. And here's why. You see, the world is changing. And I believe that no other book would help a Christ follower be effective in the ever-changing world like the book of Revelation. And here's why I say that. You see, the last book of the Bible is all about the first person of history. The first five words of the book of Revelation is this. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you ever lose your way in the book of Revelation, it's all about Jesus. You see, it pulls back the curtain to reveal from hiddenness who Jesus is right now. Now, I love Jesus in the Gospels, walking on the Sea of Galilee, feeding the 5,000, but Jesus wants us to know everything about him right now, the way he is right now, the risen Jesus the glorified Jesus. And once you see Jesus as he is right now, it changes everything. When my son was four years old, we, my wife and I would see him you know, um, struggling over a piece of paper. He would look and he would be so hard and we were like, something's not right. And so we took him to an optometrist and they say, yeah, this is not good. And all of a sudden we saw his eyes were really, really bad. And all of a sudden when his glasses came in, they put the glasses on my son Quinn and his face went, and he looked at my wife and he said, Mom, you're huge. And your nose, it's huge. And for my son, life was not about trying harder. It was about seeing clearer. And maybe today the message that God wants to get to us is this, this is are you just trying harder? When maybe Jesus wants to break in so you see him clearer in all of his glory and all of his power. Now, the book of Revelation is about a person, it's Jesus, but also there's a second thing. There's a picture. Now, there's many pictures in the book of Revelation, but there's one picture that dominates the entire book from beginning to end, and it's the picture of a great white throne. A great, majestic, pure throne, so majestic that heaven and earth cannot even be in its midst. And at the center of this throne is a lamb, it's the person of Jesus. And that reminds me that no matter what comes my way and no matter what I see and no matter what I feel, that the risen Jesus is at the center of all the universe controlling it all, all of the time. Now that person, Jesus, and that picture of the throne accomplish a very specific purpose in our lives. And it's this, that we would overcome 
that we would overcome, that we would be effective. You see, to each of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, John writes, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, to overcome what? To give up. To just play it safe. You see, so the seven churches to worship something other than Jesus and to us, that we would overcome the temptation of just being a Christian one day of the week and the other six days are ours. That we would possibly worship something like money over the Messiah or comfort over Christ or self over, our, or self over the Savior or America over Emmanuel or possibly worship politics over the promised one of God. It helps us overcome and endure to the end being faithful with all the temptations that come our way. Well, how does it do this? Revelation means to reveal from hiddenness. It allows us to see the unseen. And this is where it gets really great. You see, revelation allows you to set your present moments and all of the uncertainties in the unseen realities of the present. It pulls back and lets you know that things are not as they seem. It allows you to see the unseen world, that the unseen world that is effective, sorry, that is affecting the seen world. Things are, not as they, things are not as they seem. Secondly, revelation allows you to set your present moment in all of the uncertainties and the unseen realities of the future. We often say uh, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. True, but we also, from the book of Revelation, know what the future holds. And when you know your future, it affects your present I was 27 when I got engaged, and I remember that moment, how my decision-making changed every day. I knew that there was a wedding coming my way. I knew that I was going to get married, and it changed my days. I said, ladies, I am off the market, and they all responded, big deal. When you know the future, it changes the present. And the book of Revelation is all about showing us the risen Jesus and how he's going to come back and it affects us right now. Now, A.W. Tozer said the most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think of God. So when you think of Jesus, what comes to your mind? Is it a bland vanilla picture or is it a powerful image of the glorified majestic Christ? Um, the book of Revelation, specifically chapter one, shows us the person of Jesus as he is right now and he, in a, in a picture communicates one thing. You can trust me no matter what. Now, um, verse 9 of chapter 1, it says this, I, John, your brother and companion in suffering and kingdom patient endurance that is ours in Jesus Christ was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. John, the writer of this book, is a political prisoner because he wouldn't worship Caesar. How could he worship Caesar when he's seen the risen Jesus? But all of a sudden, in verse 9, we see where John's life and our life connect. You see, John is in several forms of crisis. He's in a personal crisis. Um, he's on an island, in a prison. And he's saying, Jesus, this is how it ends. Really, this is how it ends. This is how it ends for those who love and serve you. He's in a relational crisis. He's the disciple of love, and he's in solitude. That's like the worst thing. He's in an occupational crisis. The seven churches that he loves and pastors are suffering and struggling. He's in a theological crisis. This is your sovereign rule? You, this is how you, can't you take care of your people? 
You see, this is the key with Patmos. You see, Patmos is not a place. Patmos is an experience of doubt, discouragement, unmet expectations, disappointment, fear, and possible anger at the perceived absence of God. And more than once during this COVID season did I experience those. God, where are you? This is not what I wanted. This is not what I expected. And this is not how I thought it was going to go. And I'm sure you've been there too. But this is what we see. See, what seemed like a setback in the life of John was really a set up for John to see Jesus in a whole new way that transformed him, the churches, and transforms our lives as well. You see, um, this message that Jesus will send to his churches because he reveals himself as simply this, you can trust me. From this day forward and going forward, you can trust me because of who I am. Let me show you this. It says this in verse 10. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Now a trumpet in the Old Testament first comes on the scene in Exodus 19 where Moses experiences the presence of God and the presence of God breaks in and it begins with trumpets. But also when uh, the nation of Israel would worship, it would start with trumpets. And then when they go out to battle, they would blow trumpets. And it's this picture of the presence of God breaking on the scene, ready to do battle for the worshiping hearts of men and women in the person of Jesus Christ. And he goes, he says this, he says, like a trumpet, verse 11, which said, write on a scroll the things that you see. And there you see the seven churches. Now John says this, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. I literally, this wasn't just in my head, I literally had to turn to see it. And when I turned, I saw the seven golden lampstands, which are the churches, and among the lampstands was one dressed like the Son of Man. So among the churches is Jesus. He's on the throne, but also he's in among the churches, knowing their suffering, not outside, not above, but right in the middle of the situation. Could it be that Jesus is saying to this, you know, I know your situation, I'm not absent, I'm above it all, controlling it all, but I'm right in the middle of the situation with you. And you know this, he says this, verse 13, among the lampstands, one dressed like the son of man. The book of Daniel's dominant image for the person of Jesus, the one which all of the nations would eventually worship and see as great and glorious. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest, now, dress says something about a person. Well, this robe was a priestly robe. And that the priest's job was to be a bridge builder between man and God. And also the sash means was that of a king. And Jesus comes in and he's ushering in the kingdom of God because he's built the bridge with his death between man and God. It says this, and verse 14, his head and hair were white as wool, white as snow. Jesus, infinitely wise. Nothing catches him off guard. He knows all things all of the time. And his eyes were like a blazing fire. His eyes, meaning you could see inside, inside the person. They saw the eyes with the gateway to the soul. He is infinitely pure. And with his gaze, he purifies. It says this, his feet were like the bronze glowing in a furnace. Now, bronze is a very stable material. It, is, it will not rust. 
Jesus' feet are his foundation. Jesus is a secure foundation for our lives. Nations come and go. Fads come and go. Jesus is secure. He will not topple even to the very end. I knew a friend who had a, had a flood who came in and um, kind of did damage to their house. And they were always worried about damage and damaging the foundation. They were always worried that the foundation was going to be secure. You don't have to have that worry when your foundation is the person of Jesus. He says this, and then his voice was like the sound of rushing water. Have you seen water rush? Nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop rushing water. But we see in Ezekiel chapter 47 that rushing water is a picture of healing to the nations, which is the very presence of God. And in his right hand were seven stars. And now, now these seven stars, they used to think back then in John's day that there were seven stars that controlled the affairs of the nations and the affairs of men. And Jesus is saying, these seven stars that you think control things, you need to know, I control them. I control all things from beginning to end. And he says this, he goes on, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. And this was a short sword where they would get right up close. And Jesus gets up close and he digs out the fibrous roots of Satan's lies in our lives. And he says this, and his face was like like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And there was this blessing and this benediction. May the Lord's face shine upon you. Now the sun does not need a reason to shine. It just shines. Did you know the Lord's favor does not need a reason? It's just disposition towards you is one of blessing. His disposition towards you because of who he is is that of granting you favor. And then all of a sudden, John says this, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I thought I knew him, but this is so much more. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. Now, whenever you see the phrase, don't be afraid in the scriptures, it's significant because when God comes to Adam and Eve in the Bible and he's saying, where are you? They said, we hid because we were afraid because sin had entered the human story now and they knew that mankind couldn't have relationship with the holy God, so fear entered in. And Jesus says, don't be afraid now. Well, why? Why can't we be afraid when the presence of God is on the scene when we are holy? Well, look what Jesus says. I am the first and the last. I began it all. I end it all. I am the living one. And I was dead. Our sin, we deserve death But God in Jesus Christ died in our place, but he didn't stay dead. Behold, I'm alive forever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. You'll never be entrapped. You'll never be imprisoned by Satan's ultimate tool, fear of death. Fear. No, because I died. And you don't have to be afraid. So he says, John, Right there for it, meaning let's get to work. We've got things to do. Now, if I were you in your seat, I'd be like, wow, you love that book. Yes, I love this book. But also I'd be asking, okay, what difference does this make? That's a phenomenal picture. This is the risen Jesus, but what difference does it make? Well, four things and four questions. 
There's not a need in my life that Jesus cannot meet. There's not a need, as you go forward, know this. There's not a need that Jesus cannot meet. The question is, will I trust him or will I turn to something else? You need wisdom, he has it. You feel alone, he's with me. You feel under-resourced, he's got it. You feel over-challenged, not him. You feel insecure, you have his favor. You feel bored in your faith, my friends, Jesus is limitless in his grandeur and greatness. Second thing, the first priority as a disciple of Jesus is listening. Will I take time? Now, there are many things in this image, but voice is mentioned three times and mouth is mentioned once. And John is saying of all these things, listen to the voice. And all throughout the book of Revelation, it says, he who has ears, let him hear. Well, I, am I listening? See, I think Jesus is saying you get discouraged because you get distracted. You're listening to other things. You're listening to other dominant voices, the high volume voice of culture. Listen to me. I heard the voice. Well, how do we hear Jesus? Well, ex Eugene Peterson says this, exegesis of the scriptures is an act of love, meaning I care enough to get the words right. See, I pray that you learn as much as you can in this wonderful university, but I pray that you learn to love this book because by it we hear the life-giving words of Jesus. And last, or thirdly, Jesus is at the center and everything else is at the margin. Where will I choose to live? You see, we often feel that the, that the church and Christianity is on the margin because we feel pushed there. No, 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 that things are not as they seem. Jesus is at the center. Everything else is at the margin. Where will I choose to live? Where will I choose to worship? Where will you work? From the center or at the margin? Jesus is at the center. And here's the last thing. You don't have to be afraid because Jesus has the key. And Jesus is the key. You see, it is a command, don't be afraid. Well, how do I not be afraid? The dominant command in the book of Revelation is look. Look to whom? Look to Jesus at all times, in every situation. Don't take your eyes off me, Jesus says, because I have the keys. I have the keys. Amen.